Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We're going to continue our series, Airplane Mode, where we talk about practicing spiritual disciplines. Because think about it, in, in today's hectic, busy world, it's helpful for you and I to turn down the noise and to, to use some tools to help us tune into God. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about engaging in, in the scriptures. We've talked about fasting. We've talked about worship. Seems like uh, we've talked about one more in there, uh, silence and solitude, I believe. And today we're going to talk about small groups. Now, I have to confess to you, um, as I was preparing this message this week, I couldn't necessarily find a... Um, a scholar, if you will, Devin, out there that's written on spiritual disciplines that says, hey, small groups. But I'm going to present to you my case for why I think small groups should be considered a spiritual discipline. Uh, you know, here at uh, Pleasant Hill, we talk about knowing God, finding community, serving people, and making disciples. That's what we feel like God's called us to do. And uh, I want to talk particularly about the finding community today. Why is that important? Well, let me tell you a little bit about my story. God used a youth group to invite me to come to church when I was in high school. And it was through the efforts of that youth group that I ultimately came to Christ. Uh, God used a circle of friends in that youth group that began to pray for me that also led to me coming to Christ. Danny was one of those. Yes, we've known each other that long. Um, and then, of course, God used a Sunday school class. I remember Mr. Robison. He was my chemistry teacher in high school. He always had a knack for making sure you were paying attention, Charles. He'd say, uh, hey, Megs, yeah, is da-da-da-da? And he'd shake his head like this, and you're like, yeah. He goes, no. He always had a knack of making sure you was paying attention, you know. And uh, he was my Sunday school teacher. And so God used this Sunday school class to teach me God's Word. And then I remember at the time there was a uh, husband and wife that I briefly had uh, for about a year as a youth pastor. And uh, they wanted to go a little bit deeper with some of the youth in the youth group. And so they, uh, on Tuesday nights, they would invite a, a core group of students in the youth group. And I didn't know what they were doing at the time, but I look back now they were identifying leaders in the youth group and they invited them to their house on Tuesday night and they poured into them. They taught them more of God's word. We talk about life. We played games. We prayed together. We did all kinds of things. And out of that core group, one is a pastor, one is a, a youth pastor, and one is a pastor's wife. And uh, I thank God for using that small group to mentor me. And then, you know, Fast forward through the years, I remember my um, second church I pastored where uh, Nancy and I met. Uh, it was a uh, growing church at the time, and um, they, uh, they, they loved worship, and uh, they didn't quite emphasize Sunday school. Uh, the, the big thing at that church was the worship service, and they didn't really value small groups, and I learned the hard way as a pastor, that this is great, okay, this is great, but think about all the things that we do in church life, we do it together. We gather to worship as a large group, 
okay? We grow in small group Bible studies, what we would call Sunday school. And then we serve together in, in ministry teams and we go out together and, and we, 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 you know, we uh, share the gospel and stuff. Everything we do is in the context of community, everything. And that's why it is so important. In their book entitled Building a Church of Small Groups, authors Bill Donahue and Russ Robison give us three reasons why it's important for people to find community. Number one is the theological reason. Number two is the sociological reason. And number three is the organizational reason. And I want to start with that this morning because I really wanted to lay the foundation of why is this so important? Well, here's three reasons. The, the first one is theological. The theological reasons for community start with the greatest commandment. You know, Jesus was asked by someone, what's the greatest commandment? And he said to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and then the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Matthew twenty-two forty, he said this. He said, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So think about all the commands in the Bible. Seems like there was like 600 or so of them. All of them can be boiled down to two commands. Love God, that's the vertical. Love people, that's the horizontal. Think about that. Everything boils down to that. And so the reason why we should have community is the Bible is not so much a rule book as it is a relationship book. It, it teaches us about our relationship with God and our relationship with people. It lays out the terms of those relationships, how it's possible, what it looks like, and all of those things. Um, also, uh, look at the practice of the early church in Acts 2.42. Uh, it says, those in Jerusalem, the first church, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There were four things they were devoted to, and one of them is fellowship. And that doesn't mean they built a fellowship hall and called it fellowship, Okay. It means that they met together regularly. They had a relationship with one another. They cared about each other. They prayed for each other. They ministered to each other. All of those things, um, that is why we need uh, community. Not only is the greatest commandment and the practice of the early church, but what about the fellowship of God and believers? I'm reminded in 1 John how we can't separate this. In 1 John 1, one, what was from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we've seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we've seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Did you catch that? John is saying you can't separate loving God from loving your brother. Remember, John went on to say in that same letter, how can someone who refuses to love their brother that they see love God whom they can't see? You can't separate the vertical, love God, from the horizontal, love people. You can't do it. Here he's saying in the very beginning of his epistle, you know, we've seen this life that came from heaven to earth. His name is Jesus. It was revealed to us. And what we've seen and heard, we declare to you so that you can have fellowship with Him, whether you want to fellowship with us or not. 
No, that's not what he said. He says, so that you can have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with him and the Father. See how he puts us all together. We are now one in Christ. And I didn't even mention the Trinity. Uh, that's another compelling thought, but I don't have time to, to go there. The, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one, uh, the community there. So that's the theological reasons for community. Let's give you some sociological reasons for community. Someone said it best like this, strength for life storms. Uh, you and I go through the storms of life, and we're stronger when we're together. Matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls with an, without another to lift him up. And so we're definitely better and stronger together. Another reason, sociological reason for community is wisdom for making important decisions. In other words, when we can tap into the collective wisdom of others, it helps us make better decisions. Proverbs 15.22, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Then, of course, we need accountability for spiritual growth. You know, when we, are, when we grow as a group, then when we begin to isolate ourselves or withdraw, we have people around us that care about us that say, hey, wait a minute, you know, won't you join us? Matter of fact, God uses people to sharpen people, and that's what Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. God uses the people in our life to help us grow. And then, of course, uh, a fourth reason, a sociolo sociological reason, is acceptance to repair our wounds. Uh, Proverbs 18, 24, one with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. And it's those close relationships that we have in life that God uses to help us and to heal us. And all of those are reasons why we need community. And then, of course, from a church standpoint, there's organizational reasons for community. As much as I love this, you know, it gets better when you get in a group. Because when you're out here in this big space, if you miss a week or two, I might not catch it. Somebody else not, might not catch it. But when you're in a group, everybody that knows your name says, hey, we need to check on them this week. And so that's why it's important. From an organizational uh, perspective, there's reasons why we need community. One is called a span of care. And I love what these two guys, Bill and Russ, said in their book. It says, for span of care to work, leaders like Moses, the Old Testament kings, Jesus, and the Apostle Paul needed to carve up the workload and then identify which leaders would serve best at which levels. Likewise, when a church adopts a span of care by creating a small group infrastructure, needs get met and leaders remain effective and no one person tries to do it all. Remember when Moses tried to do it all and then his father-in-law Jethro came one day and saw everything he did in a whole day and said, what you're doing is not wise. He says, why don't you find uh, people that are qualified and you know those that can handle 100, give them 100. Those that can handle 10, give them 10. And he began to delegate his authority and his responsibility and it worked much smoother. I had read, a, I had read something somewhere a few years ago as to a theory why most churches are under 200. And I thought this was very interesting. Uh, I think somebody that was into sociology had studied groups and human behavior, 
and they basically said that when it comes to this world, you know, you might have 5,000 friends on Facebook, but how many people do you really know and interact with every day? That number begins to shrink down. And basically they said that your average person can't really logistically, okay, I'm speaking logistically, think about time, the time it takes to communicate. Take, take a, for instance, the time it takes to invest in a relationship and nurture it week by week, month by month. It says most people logistically can't handle more than 150 to 200 relationships. Uh, there's only so much time in the day that we can do that. And so when it comes to span of care, that's what I love about our small group Bible study, our Sunday school ministry, and other groups that we have, is everybody has a place. Everybody gets connected. Uh, uh, last reason on the organizational reason for community is members of one body. Again, Bill and Russ in their books say small groups offer the best way for everyone to play a part and become transformed through working together. And I would agree with that. Now, that's a long introduction, longer than what I usually give, but I wanted you to understand up front why small groups are so important. Um, we live in a day where you could technically stay home, watch the live stream, you could listen to worship music on your own, you can basically do everything through a computer if you want to. But at some point, we got to move from being transactional to personal. You know, I think I told the story a while back that a few years ago, my son needed a, a, a calculator for school. And the specific kind that we needed, they were out. So Nancy got online and Walmart in London had it. And when the day come for me to go get it, I walked in that store. I went to the, what, the pickup area that they have, that ATM machine-looking thing. You walk up there, and then you... you, you, you uh, pull up your email and you show the, the, the code and all of a sudden, there it is. I walked in that store, I walked out of that store, and I never said a word to anybody. Nobody. And I believe we're becoming that way in our culture today. We're becoming so transactional in our culture that we're losing the personal. And yet, here's the thing. God wired us for relationships. We need the community. We need the connection. And I want you to see the importance of small groups in the Bible. And so um, look at this, if you will. Let's consider the prayer of Jesus. John 17, his longest recorded prayer is John 17. And I want to look at two verses in John 17, 20 and 21, where Jesus said, I pray not only for these. In other words, he was praying for the disciples, the, the, the 12 that went everywhere he went. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. Now, there's a lot there, and I'm kind of rushing to the end, okay? But let's deal with concept before we move to practice. The concept here is relationship. And Jesus and the Father are one. And He wants us to be united just like they are. And He says, may they, these, these believers, be in us uh, so that the world may believe you sent me. How does the world know that we are Christians? How, does they, how do they know that we belong to Jesus? According to this, it's because we know Him 
and we're in Him and He's in us, and we become known as believers because of our love for one another. That's John 13. But uh, notice the context of community. That's what I want you to see. Jesus was praying for people. He was praying about their relationship with Him, their relationship with one another. The context is community. Okay, that's the idea. That's the concept. And then when you rush to the end, what does that look like in practice? I submit to you a small group. A small group of people that come together in the name of Christ. That reflects the prayer of Jesus. Look at the practice of the early church. I mentioned this a while ago, but let's look at it again. Acts 2.42. The early church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to four things. To the apostles' teaching, which is God's Word. To the fellowship, there's the community. To the breaking of bread, I believe that's the Lord's Supper. It's not just a meal, but it's the Lord's Supper. And then to prayer. And so notice there that the four things they devoted themselves, one of them was fellowship. It was that community. It was that relationship they had, that bond they shared in Christ. Fast forward to Acts 5, 42. And it says, Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the early church, they would gather at the temple. They didn't have church buildings like we did today. So they gathered at the temple, but they also met in each other's homes. And they did this daily. Think about how they were nurturing the relationship in the context of community. And that's what I think sometimes we fail to see. I want you to also see another importance uh, of small groups in the Bible. We've looked at the prayer of Jesus. We've looked at the practice of the early church. And now I submit to you that you and I are called to participate in the life of the church. How do we move from being a spectator to a participant? Well, Philippians 2 says it well. In Philippians 2... Paul told the church at Philippi, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. All of that makes sense when you understand the context of community. He's talking about when y'all come together as a body, look at the encouragement you have in Christ. Look at the love you have for Him and one another. Look at the fellowship you have because the Spirit lives in all of you. Look at the affection and the mercy that you show. Think about the joy that I want you to have and I want you to have the same love, be united. I want you to have one purpose. All of that, the context is community. When y'all come together, I want you to grow in that bond that you share in Christ. And I want you to participate in that. And it's a relational response that we are called to have. So we are called to participate in the life of the church. Now, one last thing because I'm doing something a little unusual in this message today. I'm trying to pound the point of why this is so important, okay? So stick with me. Um, there is a thing that Southern Baptists have called transformational discipleship assessment. 
Oh, it goes back to probably, it's built on maybe 20 years of research that people have done in the church world today. And uh, basically, they've said that there are eight signposts of spiritual maturity. In other words, there's eight things that you can identify in someone if they are growing in spiritual maturity. They talk about engaging the Bible. We talked about that. They talk about obeying God, denying self. They talk about serving God and others, sharing Christ, exercising faith, seeking God, building relationships, and living unashamed with a transparent life. Then, when they had all the research to say these eight characteristics describe someone that is spiritual mature, then they wanted to back up and go, well, how do we get there? How, how, what are some things that we can do that leads to spiritual growth? And not just one of those areas, but all eight of those areas. And here's the beautiful thing. The research revealed that there were three specific things that consistently improve scores in all eight of those areas of spiritual maturity. And so it's kind of like this. You know, when you want to go on a diet, when you want to get, get in shape, you want to talk to a nutritionist, you want to talk to a trainer, you want someone that cuts through all of the stuff that you've heard, all the stuff you've seen, and say, listen, I need something that works. Uh, I, I want to leverage my time. I've got five hours a week. Let's just throw that out there. I've got five hours a week. What can I do in five hours to get in the best shape of my life? And all of a sudden, they'll begin to tailor you a plan uh, how you can leverage certain things that will maximize uh, the opportunity for you to get in shape, feel healthy, and all those things. Well, here's what I'm trying to do is show you three things that will help you grow in all eight areas of spiritual maturity. And here they are. Number one, Daily Bible reading. Daily Bible reading. People that read their Bible regularly are growing in their relationship with God. There's no other shortcut around it. And that's something that's on me. That's something that's on you. It's, it's on every single one of us. Every single day we have 24 hours of time and opportunity to spend a few minutes reading God's Word. Reading God's Word. Not, not digging into it and studying it and all that, just simply daily Bible reading. The second thing they discovered that improves scores in all eight areas of spiritual maturity is attending a worship service at church. Um, and that's true. That's what the research revealed. Uh, those that make a regular habit of weekly coming to a worship service usually tend to grow and in, in, in spiritually grow and grow in their faith in Christ more than those who don't. And then the third thing that they found that helped improve spiritual maturity in all eight areas was attending a small group, regardless of what you call it, whether you call it Sunday school, small group Bible study, adult Bible fellowship, and depending on what church you go to, there's all kinds of names for it, okay? Here we've got Sunday school classes and we've got discipleship groups. And in my opinion, you need both because they, they have different goals uh, for different reasons, but they're both a small group of some kind. So in other words, when you and I read the Bible regularly, when we attend worship weekly, and when we get in a small group and participate, those three things skyrocket our spiritual growth more than anything else 
you could do. And that's why here at Pleasant Hill, we want people to come to know God. We want them to find community, serve people, and make disciples. It's pointing you down this path that helps you maximize the opportunities you have to grow in your relationship with Christ. Francis Schaeffer once said this, Our relationship with each other is the criteria the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. That's true. We're known by our love for one another. So I've spent all this time, hopefully, getting through by emphasizing why you and I need community, why it's so important. See, Christianity is not a solo sport, you know? Um, Your relationship with God is a personal relationship, and so He puts you in a body. Think about that. When you get saved, God does not leave you alone. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and now He is with you and in you forever. And not only that, but He spiritually puts you in a, in a local body, okay? Uh, now, you, that you have to follow through on that, you know, now that every person that you meet that's a believer like you, you, you share a bond. You're a brother and sister in Christ. But, but on a personal note, you and I need to get involved in the life of a local church and, and participate in this great relationship we have with God and with others who have the same relationship with God. So with all that said, I want to say this, and it's very short and sweet. Here, I'm going to give you three questions that you need to ask to basically say, why am I not finding community? Here's question number one. What is keeping you from participating in a small group? Now, again, this is not a guilt trip, okay? I'm not trying to lay anything on you, but all I'm saying is I wanted to convey to you today the value, the importance of being in community the importance of being in a small group. Now that you know that daily Bible reading, uh, um, regular Bible reading, and weekly worship attendance, and participating in a small group, those three things will increase your spiritual growth as a believer in Christ more than anything else. Okay, I pray that you're reading your Bible regularly. I'm looking at you. You're here today in weekly worship. So the question I'm going to ask is, are you participating in a small group? Because you need that. I need that. So if you're not doing that, my question is, what's keeping you from participating in a small group? Sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm busy. Or, you know, I've been hurt and I don't trust people. Well, we've got to get past that. Because God has called us to love Him and love people. And if you have a hard time loving people, you're going to have a hard time loving God. Because if you can't love the people you see, how are you going to love God that you can't see? I mean, that's what John said in 1 John 4. And so you and I need to say, what's hindering me uh, from participating in in a small group? And we need to deal with that, whatever the issue is, whatever the hurdle is. The second question you need to ask yourself, is how will you begin to build relationships with other Christians? Now, think about that for a minute. 
How are you going to build relationships with other Christians? Well, it starts by coming to church, getting to know other believers, and then taking a step, okay? Uh, we've got several classes here. Find one, uh, find one that suits you. And if you can't find one that suits you, uh, I, t- I tell our Sunday school people all the time, I love starting new classes, okay? That's how we grow. So we can start a new class. I'm totally okay with that. So find a way to start building relationships with other Christians because God has put us together. We're a body of believers. We're the family of God. And so we come together to worship. We grow in groups. And then we go out as a team to serve uh, people and to share our faith. Everything we do as God's people is in the context of community. And then the third question I want to ask you is this. When will you take a step towards experiencing biblical community? Now, you know, this is a, this is a big deal, I know. Um, a little bit about me again. You know, I grew up going to church every other weekend. I went with my granddad, who was a Pentecostal preacher. He was retired at the time, and so I knew we were going to church I just didn't know where we were going to church. One week we'd go over here, one week we'd go over there because he was retired. He knew so many people, he'd pastored for years. And so he just kind of made his rounds. And that was his way of keeping, you know, that relationship caught up with all these different people in all these different churches. And uh, me being shy, believe it or not, I was. If you told me when I was a kid that one day I'd be doing this, Danny, I'd say, no way, Jose. But I was a very shy kid, and I would go with my grandmother. I'd follow her in, and we'd go to a church somewhere, and I'd sit by her. And they'd oh, you got a grandson. Does he want to come to Sunday school? You know, I'm that kid hiding behind. No, no, no. And so at some point, you have to acknowledge the need for relationship. At some point, you have to ask yourself, when am I going to take a step towards experiencing this biblical community that the Bible speaks of? And I begin to see glimpses of it when Christians come together and they worship Him and they love one another and they practice the one another's. They greet one another. They're hospitable to one another. They love one another. They pray for one another. They forgive one another. They honor one another. They do all these things that the New Testament teaches. When am I going to take a step to experience that, you have to enter into the relationship. You have to move from being a spectator to being a participant. And that's my prayer for all of us today. I want to challenge you, everyone here, to move from the row of worship to the circle of a small group. Because in the row of worship, all of you except for the front row people here, you're looking at somebody's head. You're looking at the back of their head. But when you're in a circle, when you're, a, when you're in a circle of a small group, you begin to interface with other people. You begin to talk with other people. You begin to learn their names. You begin to share uh, your lives with one, with one another. And as you go through the, the experiences of life, you share them together and you love one another and you grow closer together and you live out your faith in Christ in the context of biblical community. And so I want to challenge everyone today to move from the row to the circle. Yes, we gather to worship, but we grow 
in groups. And I need that. You need that. You know, I need that. I teach a Sunday school class, and here this next coming month, I'm going to start a D group with three or four guys. And uh, I need that. You need that. We all need that. So make sure that you are actively taking steps to grow in your relationship with God by having a relationship with other believers that are going to minister to you and, uh, and, and walk with you through the experiences of life. Well, let me share one last thought before I close this morning. I want you to see how relational God really is, okay? God has community all by himself. I mean, remember when he created man, let us make uh, make man in our image, there was community within the Godhead, Father, Spirit, and Son. There was harmony there. There was unity there. And yet God, being relational, wants to share that with mankind. And so he makes uh, mankind in his own image, male and female. He created them. And then the unthinkable, we mess it up, don't we? I mean, Adam and Eve, they messed it up in the garden, and the world's been messed up ever since. But God loves you and me so much. There's one verse that jumps out to me, and it's this one. It's John 1, 14. The Word, which is a name for Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that. So much there. But this Word that was with God, that was God in the beginning, that created everything, this Word became flesh. His name is Jesus. He lived and walked among us. We, John said, we observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, and He was full of grace and truth. Notice the order, grace and truth. The only way I can describe it is the way a Christian doctor described it one time. Look at our bodies. We have a skeleton, a structure of bones that holds everything together and it's covered with skin. If I emphasize truth, it would be like a skeleton going and shaking Devin's hand pretty hard, you know? But I'm clothed with flesh. I'm clothed with skin. And that's what grace and truth look like. And so the Word... Jesus came, became flesh and dwelt among us. And He is the way, the truth, and the life, but He's full of grace and truth. And that's how you and I can have a relationship. If, if it was just truth, it would be brutal because we would realize God is God, we are not, He's always right, we're wrong, and boy, are we in a mess. We're in trouble. We're going to be judged by Him someday. But He's full of grace and truth. He comes into our world. He becomes one of us. He shows us what, it can look, what life can look like. And ultimately, He lays down His life for you and me. And He pays the sin debt that you and I owe before God by shedding His own blood. He lives the life that you and I should live. He dies the death that you and I deserve. And then he, He's risen on the third day. And now he offers this gift. It's a gift, a gift of grace. To know him and to love him. The gift of eternal life. Grace and truth is in Jesus. And because Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, 
we now can have a relationship with God. And He wants to have that relationship with us, and He wants to put us with other people that have that relationship as well, and we become the family of God. We become the body of Christ, and when we go out in this world, we're the army of God, Christian soldiers doing His will, what pleases Him. I want to encourage you today to think about this concept of small groups. Think about it as a spiritual discipline. If you're not intentional in growing in your relationship with God and other believers, you're missing out. And you can't separate loving God from loving people. It's both. It's both. Well, let's stand. And as our musicians come, we're going to have a time of invitation. This is the time for God to not only speak to you, I pray He's been speaking to you throughout the service, but it's your time to respond to God. What is God saying to you, and what does He want you to do? Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. Thank you for this time together to worship. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your Word. And Lord, I pray that we would see the value and the importance today of community, the context of community, to know you, and to love you and to love others. That we come together as a people of God to worship. We grow in small groups and we go and serve in teams and groups. And so Lord, I pray, help us to realize this relational need that you and I have. And Father, I pray, help us to realize that we need to get involved in the family of God, the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that each person here today will make that intentional decision to take a step forward and experience biblical community and share the bond that we have with others in Christ and show the world that Jesus has come because we are known for our love for you and our love for one another. Lord, I pray that you'd have your will and way in this time of invitation. Father, I pray right now, Lord, if there's someone that doesn't know you, I pray that today, Lord, they'd take that first step of faith to trust and follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.